When we deal with depression with our patients, we're dealing with a wide spectrum of symptoms, complaints. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. It can be frustrating, but then again, when you can provide treatment, it can make a big difference. Depression hits people throughout the entire year, but especially at major moments. Sometimes there's holiday depression and other things we have to deal with as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest today is psychiatrist Dr. Paul Gross. He's the medical director and founder of TMS Center in Lehigh Valley, a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. First of all, Dr. Gross, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, you're quite welcome. Tell me a little bit your perspective of just depression in general, treating it as a psychiatrist, and then the approach you're taking and the things that you think are important. Depression, as, as you know, is, is widespread, and we probably see more of depression in the psychiatric office than any other diagnosis. Usually they are sent to us uh, from primary care docs who go so far in, in the treatment and can't kind of get the results that they want, so they ask for a specialist like a psychiatrist to see these patients. So often the patient that we see has been depressed for quite some time, has been tried on medications and counseling psychotherapy, and, and just not getting anywhere. So we see some difficult patients. So they're often diagnosed, but sometimes they're, they're not diagnosed. They could be diagnosed with anxiety, and yet there is an underlying depression. And so we do have to make sure that they fit the criteria that we know about for a major depressive disorder. That would be the first thing to do is to make sure that the symptoms are there. We take a good history to see if there's anything that may have triggered off the illness. We look for medical causes. We take a look at medication. I mean, we really do a, a general evaluation to look at all the elements that we should look at when we are evaluating and treating a depression. And when you do this and when you're thinking about it and working with other doctors, obviously doctors are turning to you with some of their toughest cases, right? Do you probably get cases that maybe people have been refractory to other treatments? Oh, that is, that is the case. And the easy ones that we don't see, the ones that get treated with one or two medications and they get well, we, some, we see the people who don't get well. So, yes, they're often treatment-resistant. And they are the difficult ones uh, to get better. For the primary care provider, and we have many listening to this program, obviously, what are the things that you would suggest we should be looking for, maybe for those cases where we're either not making the diagnosis or, or overlooking things? Yeah, the first is the, the common diagnoses uh, or symptoms of depression, which we all know, but we sometimes don't go down the list one by one and make sure that they do qualify and, and they are the, the loss of energy and motivation, decreased concentration, negative uh, hopeless thoughts, sometimes suicidal thoughts, crying spells, insomnia. Those are some of the ones we look for, and you have to make sure that they have them. The other thing is a good history. Is there a triggering event? Is there a loss in the family? Is there some kind of a medical change of an illness that may have been picked up? We now know an interesting thing is that medical illnesses, which involve inflammation in the body, this is a, a hot topic for research, often are associated and cause depression in a one-to-one -one correlation. So inflammation is a hot topic, a lot of research. So you look for those kinds of illnesses or even then look at the list of medications. We know that certain medications are prone to cause depression, like the beta blockers. We also know that people who drink alcohol excessively often have depression as an accompanying kind of illness, and that it tells the patient to stop drinking. Sometimes the depression goes away. So these are some of the things that I would say for a family doc to start to look at. Now, you're involved in something many people don't know about. It's called TMS therapy, essentially using, I guess, precisely targeted magnetic pulses. Tell me a little bit about that 
how it works and, and the success you've had with that. Yeah, this is a fascinating new technology that is just in its infancy. It's really been approved by the FDA since 2008. My office has been doing it since 2011, so we're on our seventh year. And it's fascinating because what we're doing is we're stimulating a part of the brain. In this case, it's it's the left prefrontal cortex, which we think is the control center for depression. So we are using strong magnetic pulses over and over again repetitively over a course of 30 treatments. And what this does is if you think of the brain as a computer, I think it reboots it. So we are we are turning those cells, those neurons in that particular region we are turning them on again where they have been in an off phase. And so once we start to do that, the neurotransmitters start to be produced, the connections to other parts of the brain start to open up. And we do this with a magnetic pulse, which is virtually without side effects. That's the beauty of it, is that you don't feel anything. It's like going for an MRI. You just don't feel it. So even if you're not successful, you're not hurting the patient with a medication or, you know, you might think that this is a, a type of electric convulsive therapy, ECT. Well, not at all. It really is a painless and non-invasive treatment. What we've done statistics and see how we're doing with this in terms of success. And what we see in, in my center is about 65 to 70 percent of the patients that come in. Now, these are difficult patients. They're not first-line treatments. These are second, third, fourth, and fifth line sometimes. About 70% have a very positive response to TMS and, and stay well for long periods of time. It's a very fascinating, and I see lots of patients who come out helped and have not been in a state of free of depression for many years. And when you talk about TMS, are these people who they've tried the traditional approaches first? Is it something you'd go to first? When exactly do you go with this treatment? Well, the, the FDA has approved uh the TMS for patients who have failed at least one antidepressant. So that is the FDA regulation. Insurance companies may have another definition. A lot of the times they want to see you fail three and four treatments. But really, if you've failed just one, then, then it's indicated. In many cases, we're seeing patients who have failed multiple, multiple treatments over a number of years. Uh, we see physicians and, and the general population have not really heard that much about TMS. Uh, even though it's been in existence and it's so successful for uh, about 10 years. So more education is needed to let everybody know it exists, it's successful, it's painless, no side effects whatsoever. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Dr. Paul Gross. We're talking about depression and a form of treatment called TMS. Dr. Gross is the medical director and founder of the TMS Center in Lehigh Valley. I looked at your website uh, prior to doing the program, and when I was looking at it, I did notice, for instance, insurance companies paying for treatment and, and the big insurance companies paying for treatment. So I guess the FDA having approved it, insurance companies paying for it, you're out of that, I guess, what you would call investigative stage where there probably were a lot more uh, if hands or buts, I guess. Uh, that's true. We see about well over 90% of the insurance companies to, throughout the United States have approved TMS. It's taken some time, but the, most of them are on board at this time. Now, you mentioned something which I thought was very interesting, and, and, and any of us who have taken care of patients have come up with that association of autoimmune or any of those types of disorders or conditions which lead to some of the overwhelming psychological issues and perhaps even showing as psychiatric problems. Fibromyalgia would be a perfect example um, where people have symptoms, but there has always been that overwhelming either chronic fatigue, depression, uh, 
feeling down. You've seen that association. Is this type of a treatment impactful for them? Yes. As a matter of fact, we have treated people with depression and who happen to have fibromyalgia as a, as a medical diagnosis. Uh, and these people show a, a positive response. Once the depression gets better, uh, the fibromyalgia also gets better. So we have seen that. We have seen that with migraines as well, uh, that if you treat the depression, often the migraines get better. So there is a connection. And I, I think the common denominator, as I mentioned earlier, is, is inflammation. Uh, and that could be caused by autoimmune, fibromyalgia, even, even adipose tissue. It's interesting. People who are excessively overweight, adipose tissue itself uh, is inflammatory uh, tissue, uh, and, and uh, depression can be related to that as well. We're talking a lot this month, particularly on ReachMD, about connective tissue disorder, rheumatologic disorders, those sorts of things. Are you finding, again, that a lot of this could be inflammatory as well. Are you finding that the treatment can help in people dealing with the frustrations associated with those conditions? What you need really to get a good result with depression and, say, TMS, is that the inflammatory response has to be better controlled. So if there's still ongoing very active disease in the body, that would be the first thing to take care of before you would think that, that a treatment for depression would be successful. And that's true of people with chronic pain. It's very hard to treat these people. Often it's depressions associated with chronic pain, but you need to get the pain under control first before these the treatments for depression can be successful. Did you think you'd be approaching a treatment like TMS when you got into practice? I mean, you're back at Penn, you decided to become a psychiatrist. When you looked at it, how has the evolution of treatment for depression been in the course of your career? Well, yes, we have seen, of course, this excitement and investigation and development of multiple medications that has been, you know, in the last 30 years. But we see that they have their limitations. Only two out of three people who were treated with medication with significant depression get better. So there's this, this shortcoming, and there needs to be better treatments. The TMS came along. I was reading in the literature for many years. It actually didn't look all that promising because it wasn't well thought out and it really wasn't developed. I went to a convention. Actually, what happened, I went to a convention, the American Psychiatric, back in 2010, where Neurostar, which was the development company for TMS, and that's the machines that I use, they were there showing out their wares, and, and in the audience, there was a psychiatrist from France, and there was a psychiatrist from Cuba, of all places. So I talked to them, in kind of broken English, so we managed to talk, to, I managed to, they had nothing to do with the company, and they said that they were using TMS in their own practices abroad, and that they found it extremely helpful, and they couldn't see how they would practice without using something like TMS. So I heard that. This was a, a kind of, a, you know, an unauthorized kind of a endorsement. Uh, I said, you know what, there's got to be something there. And so when I heard that, I said, you know what, I'm going to take a look, really, and, and, and look at getting my first TMS machine. And that's what I did. Interesting. Well, you know, a lot of things I've seen when I travel and I've been to conferences um, around the world, when you some of the things other cultures and other people use, we, we don't necessarily here in the United States take advantage of or listen to. But I think as the world is becoming a closer and closer neighborhood, so to speak, we're, we're starting to see that there are is there is a greater acceptance and a greater sharing of knowledge, I think. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and there's certain treatments that um, haven't, come up, haven't come across the pond yet that are very effective. And it's nice to hear these fellows that talk about how they use these treatments that we don't know anything about. So, yeah, it's, it's one small world, uh, and especially now with the Internet, it, it really is getting smaller and smaller. 
What didn't I ask you that you would like us to talk about that you think is really important? We have a couple minutes left in the program, but you think you want to leave with the uh, audience we have, the physicians and primary care providers? Well, we, we have to take depression very seriously because worldwide it is the second leading cause of disability. It is also always in the top ten causes of death in adult people in the United States. And we do a, a, not such a great job in treating. We, uh, so I think we need to know more about the pathophysiology of the disease, how it starts in the brain. And uh, if we can understand that better, then we can treat it better. So we need research, research, and research. I would say to look at TMS. If you're getting a roadblock in treating somebody, look at other other avenues of approach. You know, I, I'm not satisfied unless a patient gets a fully better. I want a full response, so I try very, very hard because I know left untreated, it's a misery for the patient, the family. There's a risk of suicide, disability. So it's extremely serious and uh, should be taken seriously by our professionals. The only other question I had for you, Dr. Gross, was the idea of, of a placebo effect. Do you think there's any contributory factor to a placebo effect for this? Because people feel they're getting a treatment, it's different, there's something else. Has that been studied and looked at? I don't think it's been formally studied, but we know that in the beginning, if you if you have high expectations and anticipation that something will work, it often will work, which is the placebo effect. However, it's not long-lasting. That's what we see. So people who, who feel better immediately, you kind of are suspicious. Uh, if they don't hold their gains over a period of time, then you're probably looking at the placebo effect. So I think that um, nothing's wrong with a placebo effect. People feel better, but often it's, it's short-lived. Dr. Paul Gross, I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care Today on ReachMD. You're welcome. I'm glad to be of, uh, of help. You've been listening to Dr. Paul Gross, the medical director and founder of the TMS Center in Lehigh Valley. You can always download the podcast, ReachMD.com. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. I'll talk to you soon.